Amen. Why don't we just stand one more time? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews afterwards. So, Father, we thank you this morning that you've brought us here safely. We pray that you will allow us to go home safely. And, Father, I do ask that your spirit would work powerfully in our lives, that we're here to experience you and to encounter you, hear from you. And, Lord, I pray that the things that will be shared today will not only enrich our soul for the moment, but, Father, will have an eternal ramification in our life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Pastor Mark Buchanan shared a story a number of years ago of a friend of his who assembled kind of a work and weekend party to lay sod in his yard. And sun was shining, fresh copy, uh, cinnamon buns were there. And the crew he had called together were all very good friends. And as he relates, we liked each other immensely. And then one of the guys said, do you realize something that, that this is it? This is what? This is real community. Well, we all muttered our assent and congratulated each other. Yes, this is it. But then I said, this is great, but I don't think this is it. I like you all too much. Add a person or two to this company who lacks some social graces, looks a little different, who's needy, could be smelly and a little irritating, and if you can truly love a person like that, then that would be it. There was silence for a moment. One of the guys said, uh, Mark, we've already accepted you, haven't we? Well, of course, they all laughed, but they understood. We're always tempted to turn the church into some sort of a club with our kind of people. But Jesus said it's no credit to us if we love those who love us, which means people like us. We don't need God to love that kind of a person with natural affinities. Jesus said we're to love the least and the worst of these. As a matter of fact, he even says we're to love our enemies. It, how many know it takes God and it's supernatural in nature? A year or so after our sod laying party, Wanda arrived at our church. She was not, quote unquote, our kind of people. She was thirsty, all right, for beer, port, rum, vanilla extract, whatever she could get her hands on. And she had only one way to pay for it, and I'll let you guess the way. She was desperate and thirsty for something else, and she'd call the church one day whether, asking if she could talk to one of the pastors. Two of us met with her, and she told us her troubled story, and I told her about the woman at the well whose life like Wanda's wasn't going well, but she met Jesus, and we asked Wanda if she would like to meet him too, and she said yes, and we prayed. She confessed and repented and surrendered, and the other pastor said to her, well, now, Wanda, this Sunday will be your first time in church, and don't feel like you have to fit right in right away. You can sit at the back and, you know, come late, you know, leave early, whatever's comfortable for you. And she looked at him sideways, and she said, why would I do that? I like that answer. I've been waiting for this all my life. That Sunday, Wanda was the first to arrive, sat at the front, loudly agreed with everything I said, last to leave. Next Sunday, the same thing, except for this time she brought a friend of hers, her kind of people. I preached on servanthood, and my main point was if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve, and it was Communion Sunday. And after the message, I'd call for the servant leaders to come forward, and in those days, our elders were called servant leaders, and that day only two of them were there, and so they straggled up to the front, and all Wanda heard was the word servant. And up she came, because she had been listening intently to the sermon, if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. 
She walked right up to the communion table with the other two quote-unquote servants, and I kind of, well, this isn't what I expected. I remembered then the words of Luke chapter 7, his words to Simon. Remember the Pharisee who was kind of put off by a woman who'd come to dinner, and she was that kind of a woman? I leaned over to Wanda and said, well, since this is your very first time doing this, do you mind if I help? So Wanda and I began to serve communion. The best part was watching the faces of the people I loved, served, and prayed for. Not one of them flinched because they saw her. This is it. This is true community. You know, one of the problems of life in North America is misunderstanding what the Bible reveals as a source of true community. You know, we often... Uh, judge others more severely and expect others to meet our needs rather than understanding that part of being in community is also what we're contributing to others. That we're not only here just to receive something, we're here to also give something. We're here to interrelate to one another's. It's all part, I think, of the world in which we live today. It's all about what we can get out of things. I've also been kind of struck with an interesting parallel between Uh, our spiritual condition and the growing problem of physical conditioning. Now, you know, Red Deer actually has a very high standard of physical conditioning. We were actually stated as the most healthy, physically fit community in our country. That's pretty amazing. Now, but that's not true of everybody. Not everybody's physically fit. We can all probably agree to that. But it's not just being physically out of shape. As a culture, we're struggling being emotionally, relationally, and even spiritually out of shape. And this is what I want to talk about. How in the world can we keep fit spiritually? How many say that's probably the most important? As a matter of fact, Scripture says, you know, exercise profits a little bit. It does profit. It helps you probably have a, maybe a healthier lifestyle. But ultimately, When we're spiritually fit, that's going to profit us for all of eternity. So maybe what we need to be doing is having the right focus, and that is getting spiritually fit. You know, Paul says to Timothy, we have to train to be godly. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, rather train yourself, or another translation says, discipline yourself to be godly. So who's responsible for our spiritual fitness? And I know you. some of you are thinking, well, that's your job, Pastor. And I'm saying to you, no, my job is to equip you in order for you to be spiritually fit, right? I'm just a trainer. But how many know if you're in the athletics realm and I'm a trainer, how many know I can't exercise for you? How many know that's true? I'm, I think we'd love to delegate that off, but we can't do that. Yeah, and I'm going to just say this. Spiritually speaking, we can't delegate that off. As a matter of fact, we have to get in shape. And so God is calling us to be spiritually fit. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, that's where we're going to go. I'm going to to talk a little bit today about what it will take to get in good spiritual shape. What kind of exercises should we be practicing in order for us to be spiritually fit? I mean, if you went to the gym and you hired a trainer, wouldn't they kind of take you through the steps of you've got to do this, you've got to work out? I actually have a book at home. You may not know this, but I actually weight lift. And this book teaches me which exercises to use to affect certain muscles in my body. Isn't that interesting? 
And so today, in a sense, you've just entered into the spiritual gymnasium, and I'm going to do a little coaching today so that you can take this exercise format home with you and begin to get yourself in good spiritual condition. How many say that's probably a good thing? Because this is going to have eternal dividends in our lives. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to discover three things that help us stay in uh, shape spiritually. And these three things are at the core of our faith. And what I love about them is as we're going to develop these things, they have eternal qualities. And you know what those three qualities are? Well, number one, in 1 Corinthians it says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So what we're going to work on is how we can develop and grow our faith, our hope, and our love. How many think those are amazing things to develop in your life? Wouldn't you like to say, I'd like to have greater faith in my life? Or I'd like to have, you know, a greater confidence in God so that I have hope and I'm not, I'm not despairing and hopeless. Or, you know, I, I'm allowing the love of God to so flow into my life that I'm becoming a channel of his love to others. Isn't that great stuff? We're going to look at that. And so I want to talk about how to develop these qualities. And this is how we're going to stay in spiritual uh, shape. And I believe that they need to be applied into our lives on a daily basis. So the first thing that will help us in staying spiritually fit is the exercise of faith. I know that word exercise, some people cringe, but that's what we need to learn. So what do I mean by the exercise of faith? Well, trust, I believe, is part of what faith is all about. You know, when I, when I say I have faith in God, what I'm saying is I'm putting my trust in him. I have confidence in him. And trust only occurs in the context of a relationship. You know, well, you can say, well, I trust myself. But really, we have to learn how to trust other people. That's how you grow as a person. Uh, we have to draw near to God in order to have God draw near to us. God wants to be close to us. How many know that? That's God's longing to be close to every one of us. <clears throat> and you and I, believe it or not, have the relationship with God we want. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I could argue that point. I'd like to have a better relationship. Well, what's keeping you? Because God wants it. So the problem is on our side. So we're going to remove some of the things that are hindering us from having maybe the relationship you would really like to have with God. Now, we have to remember that this book that we're looking at, the book of Hebrews, is actually written to people who were Jewish in background, and they were Hebrews. And why this book is written this way is it's actually a sermon to tell them that Jesus is actually their Messiah. And so he's talking in this book, and he uses a lot of things that people with a Jewish background would have great familiarity with. And so we read these beautiful verse here in Hebrews 10, 22. Here's, here's the first text that I think is important to help us develop. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So there's my first thing we need to understand. It's about faith. If you have this kind of faith, it's going to have assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the boldness which believers in Christ have to enter the, heaven, uh, the heavenly sanctuary through, through him, through Christ, is set in contrast with the restrictions which hedged about the privilege if symbolic entry into the presence of God in Israel's earthly sanctuary. So F.F. Bruce, this New Testament scholar, he's going to tell us something. He's saying, I want you to understand, you're a Jewish person, and all Jewish people know this, that you just don't walk into God's presence. How many know that the whole Old Testament is teaching a very profound truth? 
And that's the holiness of God. That God is other than what we're like. And that God is without sin. And it's, an, it's a terrifying thing for us to come into the presence of God. The first thing we're going to recognize is how unholy we really are. It, it really will throw us, you know, it, it, it'll, 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 we'll actually come undone. Think about Isaiah the prophet when he had the vision of God in his holiness. He saw God high and lifted up. He came unglued. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I recognize my unworthiness, my undeservedness to be even in your presence. There's an awareness of God's holiness. Okay, so the Hebrew people understood that only the high priest would come into God's presence with having sacrifice but once a year on the Day of Atonement. And that was the only access into the very presence of God. He was a representative for the whole nation. How many get a sense from the Old Testament there's this inaccessibility into the presence of God? We catch that. But what happens? Jesus comes to earth. Who is Jesus? But he's God himself. He invades the planet and he brings accessibility to humanity. And when he dies on the cross, something profound happens because we read in scripture that in the temple... Actually, the the veil that was between the holy place and the most holy place, the place the high priest only went in once a year, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, this is to signify that the way into God's presence has now been opened. That you and I can come as God's children. When we have a relationship, when we've surrendered our lives to Christ, we have access into the very presence of God. And whenever we pray, That's exactly what's happening. We're entering God's presence. That is outstanding stuff. He says, it is not all the people who could exercise this privilege, but only the high priest. He's talking about the Old Testament as their representative. And even he could not exercise the privilege anytime he chose, but at fixed times and under fixed conditions. But those who have been cleansed within, in other words, they've surrendered to God and made, have been made perfect. In other words, God, they've, God has done a work of grace in their life. They've received the right of access into his holy presence. And our author urges his readers to avail themselves fully of this free right. Do we have any concept that when you and I pray, we're actually acting like the high priest in the presence of God? How many think that's an amazing thought? Is that amazing? It's stunning when we consider it. So let's move on. Do we really avail ourselves or grasp the significance of this aspect? And do we really come freely into God's presence? I think the issue is we need to learn how to communicate in order to develop this healthy relationship. Drawing near to God speaks of taking time to commune with him. Now, I know everyone will tell me, I'm so busy with my life, Pastor. And I'm going, no, we're all busy. Everything you do, it reflects your values and your priority. So if you're making time for God, what you're saying is, God, you are the most important priority in my life. Wouldn't you say that? Because you're making time for it. That's your value. And I'm gonna say this to all of us, and if I could, I was praying with our, our men this morning, we gathered for an hour, we're interceding for you, and my prayer for you as a, a congregation, as I said, I desire and long that every one of you has Christ at the center of your life. 
that you have seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness above everything else. And I'm gonna make this statement to you. If you will put God first in your life, all the other things that you have need of in this life, God will help you with. See, we're trying to do it in our own wisdom, our own energy, our own strength, but we need to put God first. And when we do that, when we have the right priority, life begins to fall into its proper outcome. We become the right kind of person in the process. God starts working at bringing about transformation in our lives. Now, what I think is amazing is the assurance that we can have in entering his presence. You know, we're family. Do you know what Jesus said to us? When you come to God, call him Father. How many like that? Actually, it's more personal. In Romans, he says, you know, Abba, which if I could use a translation, a paraphrase of it in English, Daddy, Father, I'm coming to you. Do you see God as a loving father? See, that's part of the problem. Sometimes we, we see God as transcendent, so far removed from us. Maybe we see him as the judge, you know, or maybe we see him as, you know, this in, intense person that I'm terrified of. But do you see him as a loving father who's only interested in your well-being? That changes the whole equation. You know, when you have that kind of confidence coming into the presence of a loving father and you can say, Dad, I need help, and you're, you know your dad has a heart for you, it changes the whole element of coming to God in prayer. I want to remind us, it's, we draw near to God based on what Jesus did on the cross for our behalf. So in other words, it's not based on human merit. It's not, I don't, I don't pray and I don't say, well, you know, I really deserve this. I'm going to just basically say, no one in this room deserves it including myself. There's not one of us. We don't come to God based on merit. Rather, I come to God asking for his help, and you come to God the same way, asking for his help, based solely on our neediness and his willingness. That's the other problem we have. Sometimes we have a hard time believing God is willing. You know, I think we just don't understand the nature of God. That's one of the reasons why I don't think we pray that much. If we knew how loving and good and generous and compassionate and kind God is, we'd pray more. We really would. If we would recognize that you and I are actually dependent and needy people and stop being so self-reliant and so self-dependent, we'd pray more. It's true. We just, I'll go take care of it myself. You know, the sad part about living in an affluent culture is we don't feel a need for God. But you know, if we were shipped off right now to some other parts of the world where many people, almost 43 million, are struggling to survive for daily food, your attitude would be different. I can guarantee you, you'd be praying for your food. Most of us pray to thank God for our food. Some people are praying to have food. It's a big difference. How many know you're now forced to actually trust God? You know, sometimes God allows things. We're gonna see this. You know, one of the ways our faith is developed is through struggle. You know, when it's all easy, you don't develop and grow. You know, I was chatting with my grandson the other day. He's really bright. I'm, I'm boasting as a grandfather, but he is quite bright. And when things don't come easy to him, he doesn't want to try. Anybody ever have that issue, you know? And so I had to tell him, you've got to try. Because what's going to happen is, even though you're really smart now, you're never going to develop and grow. Because part of the development in life is going through difficulty and having to struggle, and that's, how you ch that's where change 
develops, and that's how you grow. And eventually, if you keep trying, you'll eventually get it, and then it'll become easy for you. And that means you've grown. And so he went home and told his mom this. He had a talk with this. He calls me Poppy. He had a talk with his Poppy, and this is what Poppy told me to do. And I've got to, you know, pers- he was t- telling her he's got to learn how to persevere. He didn't say that word, but he, he's, he's explaining to her he's got to learn perseverance. And I'm, I'm challenging us that you and I need to learn how to persevere in our prayer life with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus encourages this. He says in, uh, well, first of all, I'll come back to this first because I'm talking about perseverance. Prayer, oh, let, me, let me go back. This is the order I wrote it in. Now I'm messing myself up. Okay, first of all, the willingness of Jesus. I said it earlier, leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean and immediately was cleansed. One of the problems we have is that we don't think God is willing. So prayer, Richard Trent says, is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. I love that quote. Once we grasp that God is willing, that's powerful. Then it's a matter of persevering. Listen, Jesus tells a parable to teach us about perseverance in, in communication. He said to his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not to give up. How many know? When we don't get what we ask for right away, we just quit praying. And he says, no, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to learn how to persevere in prayer. And will not God, he says at the end, the, the unjust judge, you know, the, the, it's a parable in contrast. The unjust judge is being pers- pursued by this widow who has a need and she just does not stop bugging him and finally he says okay I'll give in to this you know squeaky wheel kind of thing even though I don't fear God or man I'm going to do what she's asking and 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 Jesus is saying listen God is not like that see he's unlike that person and he goes on to say he's willing it says and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night will he keep putting them off what's the answer it's a rhetorical question the answer is no of course he won't put them off he wants to answer he's willing and then he says this I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly however when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth see one of the reasons God delays in our answering our prayers is he's trying to exercise something in our life called faith how many follow what I'm saying you know how many know when you're weightlifting what are you really doing you're building a resistance right so you're developing muscle listen there has to be resistance to our faith in order to develop faith are we following this so God allows things in our lives for a reason It's not that he's unloving. It's not that he doesn't care. Why does he let this happen? God is saying, no, my goal for your life is so that you and I become more like him and our qualities and our soul change and we become less self-absorbed, self-centered. We learn how to get past ourselves and we become a better person. Actually, we become more Christ-like and is not that the goal of our lives? See, we are created by God to bring glory to him. That's God's intent for our lives. Another reason we struggle with prayer is that we're looking at our own sense of worth and value. Too often, instead of looking to God, we're looking at ourselves. And we feel unworthy. We feel we don't deserve it. And I want to just put out to you that none of us deserve it. Listen to how Jesus frames it. Well, Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews, frames where Christ is at 
regarding our prayer. He says it this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin. So Jesus was tempted, but he didn't succumb. But he knows what temptation is like. He's compassionate. Then he says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We need to have confidence. We need to have assurance so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We receive mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So we can come to God and say, look, I know I don't deserve this, but I need it. Look, I'm struggling in this area of my life, but I need help. God says, yeah, I know. I'm willing to help you. Isn't it amazing? I would encourage us, if you're struggling with something right now, why don't you come to God and say, yes, I'm struggling with this and I've struggled with this, but I need your help, Lord. Help me in this area. God says, I'd love to help you. You see, God wants us to succeed. He's an amazing father. Well, let's take a look at the second thing in staying spiritually fit. It's the exercise of hope. You know, it's been said that man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, in very little time without hope. Hope is what sustains our life. It keeps us going. Knowing this, the enemy of our souls, what's he gonna do? He's gonna battle with us so that we lose hope. We lose confidence. How many have ever battled despair? You ever have moments where you're despairing? Sure, I think we all have. Maybe you've wondered, God, where are you in my mess? Where are you in this crisis? Why aren't you answering, you know? Hello, I'm, I'm knocking. You're not answering. Jesus says knock. Remember, ask, seek, and knock. There's a sense, there's a progression here. Sometimes we just go, God, I'm just batting my head. You know, sometimes I prayed for some stuff and it hasn't happened and I'm going, God, listen, this is getting ridiculous. Anybody ever felt like that? You ever have a conversation with God? You're saying, look, God, I know you don't have to worry about time, but I have a shelf life. I'm just pointing this out to you, right? I, I need you to show up here sometime because, you know, I'll be off the scene. God says, you know, I don't really need you, but, you know, still love you. But really, he, he's going to come through, but he, it's never on our timetable. How many kind of figured out God is not working on your timetable? I, I, I have to confess, he doesn't work on my timetable. But he has one, and it's amazing some of the ways he answers our prayer. Maybe you're today battling a, a crisis or a giant. You can't understand. You're wondering, where is God in this situation? I know you're faithful. I know your words is true, but I've kind of given up hope in this current context. You know, we were reminded last Tuesday night, we had a great prayer meeting, and Ola, one of our deacons, shared this thought that Paul was out to sea. And remember, they were in a storm there. And, and this is what the verse said. He was pointing something out to us. He says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Interesting statement. Luke was writing this, but we, includes the Apostle Paul, they, they, they despaired. As a matter of fact, then I read 2 Corinthians that night and I said, look, sometimes we even despair of life itself. Paul did. So we all have these moments. Don't, you know, we look at these guys and think, well, they've never had these problems. Listen, they've had moments where they've despaired even of life. They've lost hope. So this is a real battle, you know, to have, you know, not only faith, but hope. Here we are being challenged to persevere in hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
So we gotta know God, we gotta know his nature, we gotta know God's faithful, so we gotta hang on to this hope, and we're professing, we're, we're saying, yes, I am trusting God to do this. C.S. Lewis points out, hope means a continual looking forward to the eternal world. In other words, you know what we tend to do is look at our problems. What God wants us to do is look up, you know? It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. Matter of fact, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. What's he mean by that? It means when you and I have a vision that we have eternity in our sight, we actually can do more for this present world. We have the right balance towards life. We get it. He goes... It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. What's he saying? We've lost a vision of where we're going. And so we get caught up in this world. We get entangled by this world. We finally get entrapped by this world. He says, aim at heaven, you're gonna get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. That's a very interesting statement. What what are you shooting at, he's saying? That's our problem. Do you know we're not willing to... uh, well, let me go back and say this. We're called to communicate our faith. How many know that's true? We're called to go make disciples. We're called to be lights. We're called to communicate, first of all, by the way we live. But there's times we need to open our mouth. But you know one of the reasons I think why we're quiet is because the culture's hostile. How many know that's true? There's a hostility. We know it's there. We don't talk about it, but it's there. Eugene Peterson says it's both difficult and dangerous to tell the truth. How many know that's true? People who tell the truth not infrequently get killed. As a matter of fact, the word used in the first century for telling the truth about God in a given situation was the Greek word martis, which in our language has been translated martyr. How I many know what a martyr is? Well, that's the person who loses his life for telling the truth. You've just been martyred, you know. You've paid a price. That's our problem. We're not willing to lose our lives. Let's really be honest. It's hard to lose our lives. We're not, we're, you know, you think about it. Jesus, unless you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you can't find it. If you're trying to save your life, you'll lose it. If you're willing to lose your life for my sake in the gospel, you'll find it. Isn't that a paradox? It is a paradox. But think about it. You know, I'm, I'm afraid to lose my friendship with this person, so I'm not gonna say anything. I'm afraid to lose my reputation, so I'm not gonna say anything. Meanwhile, these people are perishing. See, we've lost a vision of eternity because we're wrapped up in the now and the moment. Do you know what's happening in Canada right now? Do you know why our world is getting crazier and crazier? Because less people are coming to faith in God in Canada all the time. Do you realize that? The church now, we have just been almost silenced. See, I'm, my, point, my point completely. Let me move on to the third thing in staying spiritually fit. It's the exercise of love. How many know love cannot be exercised apart from others? How many feel that's true? Well, I really love myself. But you know what? It's amazing. We have to have others to love. Here we're encouraged by the writer to motivate and inspire each other to express love. Love needs to be, you know, it's not just said in words. You know, you can't just say to your spouse, I love you. You got to demonstrate it by the way we treat them and show them and demonstrate it. You know, we come along and we help them. Love is, is action. You know, we can't just, you know, like the old guy said, you know, 
I told you once when we got married, I loved you, and when I change my mind, I'll let you know. I, I don't think that works. I think you've got to communicate it, but I think you've got to communicate it more than just with words. You've got to communicate it in action. Love is powerful. And now let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Wait, wait, where did that come from? Well, what he's saying is love has to be in the context of community and you and I need to be in relationship to one another. And that brings us back to the opening story is that we need to begin to love people that are different than ourselves. That tells you that you're growing as a person. You know, it's easy to love people that are like you or they have the same interests that you have or they get along with you, but it's a lot harder to begin to love people who are so unlike you and maybe irritate you at times. You see, I think love's a choice. We can choose to love anybody, but it takes work to love some people. Anybody say amen to that? Yeah, and sometimes it takes work for people to love you. Ouch, right? (laughs) Comes back around. And he says, let us not giving up the meeting together and assembling together some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see what? The day approaching. That word is capitalized, not by me, but by the translators because the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And so when you and I are in community and if we really love each other, we should be speaking into one another's lives. Interesting thought. How many, you know, maybe we don't see the need for church, but the temptation for the early believers was similar to ours. This was written in the first century. To neglect assembling together. You know why? Well, first of all, it was dangerous in that hour to gather together. Actually, it was illegal at times. You know, I've been studying on the first century, and I'm teaching in 1 Corinthians, and it's really been fascinating. The Jewish people got uh, a reprieve from the Roman government to meet weekly. But they were against people assembling together. You say, why? Because they were afraid that they would have open revolt in the empire. And so it was illegal to meet together. And the reason why the early Christians got away with it initially was they were considered Jewish people and they had the right to assemble. But there was a lot of conflict in the, in the synagogue because people were becoming Christians. How many, well, there was a tension there. Wow. And a lot of things were happening. And so eventually they were kicked out of the synagogue and they, in a sense, they were an illegal group. And because... It was new, everybody considered new religions as really dangerous, and so they were now marginalized. And the other thing was, the Jews themselves had an exemption from worshiping Caesar. All they had to do was sacrifice and pray for this emperor. Where the rest of the people, now that were Gentile believers, now they're in trouble because, you know, they gotta acknowledge Caesar by offering an offering toward him. And so it was creating a lot of tension. How many see there's some problems here? These early Jewish believers were either seen as heretics in the eyes of their fellow Jewish community because of their faith in Jesus, or they were considered unpatriotic and even revolutionary in the eyes of the Roman Empire. Today, the attack against coming together is more subtle. The church is being seen as too institutional and not relational enough. Though I think there are dangers in being too institutional, the problem is deeper because many people see church as something they come to get something from. See, I don't see church that way. Here's what I'm gonna say. You and I need to come together so that we can each serve one another. We're here to, we're here to participate in something. How many know it's hard to participate you know, when you're not present? 
It's hard to serve each other if all you're doing is on the receiving end of being served. See, one of my deepest motivations as a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who's responsible for doing the ministry? The people. My job is to help you so that you do the ministry. When I don't do that, I fail. But when you don't do the ministry, who's failed? Yes. So one of my standards of measuring the health of our church is based on the level of participation in the ministries of our church. Did you know that? That's how I'm evaluating. So I think it's important that you and I start finding out, how am I gifted? Where do I fit in? What's my responsibility? How can I serve other people and be involved in other people's lives? And that's one of the ways we grow spiritually. That's another way to stay spiritually fit. And that's another way of saying, I actually really love you because I'm serving you. Isn't that true? I mean, I remember when I was newly married, this is probably good for younger people. You know, my wife says, if you want to tell me you love me, why don't you just come over here and help me start drying the dishes? That's real practical. Hey, come on now. Yeah. Come on and start doing the dishes, right? So I'm just saying to you, you know, you can tell people you love them, but if you don't do anything, I don't think that flies. I think you have to roll up your sleeves and get involved with people. And sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes you go, hey, I didn't sign up for this. This is actually more difficult than I thought. You know, we have a lot of people that can criticize a lot of people for what they're not doing, but are you doing anything? Mm, that's a challenge. You know, I, I, I love what um, Eugene Peterson, he's writing, uh, he's, he says it this way, the church uh, is a place where we come to find out what we're doing that is right, in other words, when you read the seven letters to the last, uh, the book of Revelation, there's, there's some things that Jesus says to the church. You find out what you're doing right. There's affirmation. Jesus says, man, you're doing this right. How many of you like coming to church and you're actually doing something right and you get affirmed? And then every once in a while, uh, you find out the, place, the church is also a place where we find out what we're doing wrong. Now, you know, sometimes you go, I don't like it when people find out what I'm doing wrong. But the reality is nobody points it out. I'm just going to keep doing the wrong thing. I'm not going to get any better. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to develop. Sometimes I have to be corrected. Hey, let me show you how this is done. Correction's not all bad. Hey, let, let me help you with this. And we start to show somebody, and go, oh, is that how you do it? And then they catch on, and they start doing it better. That's correction. How many think that's good? Don't we, should we do that as a parent, little kids struggling with something? Hey, let me help you. Let's, 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 let's do it this way. Let, oh, yes, that's perfect. Look what you're doing now. That's growth. The church is a place where we hear God's promises. It's a place to motivate us. Have you ever left church and you're motivated? You should be inspired to do the right thing. It's motivating. Uh, no Christian community can do without any part of the message. We need affirmation. We need correction. We need motivation. Don't you love that? <clears throat> I come to learn. I come to grow. I come to serve. And the more I put into it, the more I receive from it. You know, I'm going to tell you who gets the most of church on Sunday. The person that gets the most from all of this, it's going to shock you. It's me. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I get up and I review the sermon. I'm praying for it. I meet with guys. There's 13 of us prayed for an hour. I met with the worship team. I prayed with them. I worshiped this morning. You guys are going to leave now. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do it three times. I'm going to worship with this team three times. I'm going to get to worship God. You're singing songs one time through. I'm singing it three times through. 
every single Sunday. No wonder I'm so pumped up, you know? It's no wonder I'm getting amped up. I, I said to the guys after we got done, I said, this is like a commando unit this morning. People could hear us praying in my office. We were really into it. You know, it's like a commando unit. We're just tear apart the powers of hell. It was so much fun. I love it, <clears throat> you know? Isn't that right, Chris? You were there. Wasn't that great? Oh, yeah. yeah, awesome, yeah. So I said, you know, if everybody had that one-hour experience that we hadn't came to worship, we'd have been blowing the roof off this place because there were some of us that we were really wired for worship this morning. We were like, wow, God, this is amazing. What am I telling you? You only get out of something what you put into it. That's how it works. Wow. C.S. Lewis says, those who are members of one another become as diverse as the hand in the ear. That's why whirlings are so monotonous. Uh, I didn't quote all that. It's okay. Move on. I'm looking at the time. With the almost fantastic variety of the saints, obedience is the road to freedom, humility the road to pleasure, unity the road to personality. I love that. Okay. Let me close here. Say it this way. Do you know when you come over to somebody's house, we don't do this anymore, just drop in. How many know you're not prepared to have a guest? The house may not be fully in order. Anybody ever had that experience? Okay, I want to explain to you about the church. Jesus is calling sinners to repent. How many know that's true? This is a house where all of us come in here and we're all in different places. And sometimes life is messy. If you really, you know, some people's houses are clean all the time, not a lot of activity. But if you have a lot of people coming over all the time, I can guarantee you it's not going to be clean all the time. It's going to be messy. And that's why I think the church sometimes looks messy. You got all kinds of people coming from every which background and everything's going on and you're trying to deal with things and you're trying to help people get their act together. And other people, it says those that are strong need to bear with those that are weak. And so instead of walking around going, why don't they get their act together? I'm going, why don't you help them get their act together? You know, walk beside them, encourage them. Say, hey, look, let me show you how it's done. Not in a condescending way, but in a helpful way. How many want to be, if you're struggling with somebody, how many would like somebody to come along and say, hey, you got a flat tire? No problem. Let me show you how it's done. Let's do it together. And they show you how to change that flat tire. How many go, man, that's so thoughtful of you. Thank you for coming along and helping me at this point in my journey. Everyone in this room needs assistance sometime. How many say that's true? I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We all need people to come alongside of us and help us. Sometimes we need a word of affirmation. Sometimes we need a word of correction. Sometimes we need a word of motivation. But if we're not coming together and participating, we're not gonna be growing. And we're gonna be going backwards. And there's a lot of people out there going, yeah, but I know all this stuff, but are you doing it? You see, information isn't gonna save you. Application is what changes you. Let's stand. As we close in prayer this, this morning, what are you doing to stay spiritually fit? Great question, isn't it? I think God's been speaking to hearts this morning. Some of you say, you know, pastor, 
I want to just share this thought that I read by John Ortberg. It was so good. He said, you know, a lot of people are trying to move in spiritual transformation, but it's a long-term endeavor. He says it's like crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature. But you know, what they're really doing, he says, is like being in the ocean in a rowboat. It's exhausting and usually unsuccessful. And they just give up. Others, you know, finally decide, I can't do it. So they said, you know, I'll just let God do everything. And so they're like, a, like a drifting on a raft. Wherever the current goes, they're going with it. But he said, you know, to really develop spiritually, you got to be a sailboat. You say, why a sailboat? Because a sailboat has to catch the wind. The wind is the spirit of God. And you and I need to cooperate and allow God to help discipline our lives. So we can't do these things in our own strength. You know, I don't think praying and fasting comes easy, but I think if we say, God, could you help me to learn to get to know you better? I will give you this much time every day. I will take my Bible out. I will read these scriptures. I will ask for help to understand. Do you know you start doing that after a while? It's amazing what happens. You develop a habit. What I discovered over the years is I've got a daily habit with God. We get together. And I'm amazed that every day as I'm reading through three or four chapters a day, at the end of a day, I've read the whole Bible through. And I've done this now since 1975. That's a long time, right? I'm getting to know God better. And if, you know what amazes me? As much studying as I do, and believe me, I'm studying at a very high level. I read this Bible and go, wow, I never saw that before. And I'm writing notes in my journal. God, you're showing me things Almost every day I see something beautiful. It is so amazing. I'm getting to know you. And then I find out that during that day, a lot of those ideas, God allows me to use what he's talked to me about because he's already set up my day because I've prayed, Lord, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done today in my life. And then he brings things and people into my life. And the very things he's been talking to me that morning through the scriptures are the things I need to help people during that day. Is that amazing? I don't think that's just coincidence. I think that's God. And I wanna encourage you, let's get to know him. Let's get spiritually fit. With every head bowed, how many here are saying, you know what, pastor, I've been challenged this morning. I recognize I have been a little bit spiritually lazy. I gotta say a lot about spiritual laziness. That's not a good thing. Actually, if you got a concordance out, looked up the word laziness in your Bible, you'd be shocked. You'd find out that's not a healthy thing. Oops. So I don't want you guys to be struggling at the end. I want you to run the race like champions. I want you to break that ticker line, that finish line with joy in your heart. You say, yes, I ran the race. I finished the course. Man, I did a good job because God, you helped me do it. You were the best one to get me through here. You trained me. How many here say, you know what? Today, I wanna to recommit my soul to becoming spiritually fit. That's you this morning. God speaking to your heart right now. Just raise your hand, that's you. Yeah, a lot of people are saying, yep, that's me. I wanna get spiritually fit. Great, let's pray. Lord, we just wanna thank you this morning. You are listening to our heart's cry. As a matter of fact, you're asking us to come with absolute confidence that you will hear us. And I pray today that every heart that said, Lord, I wanna get better. I wanna keep growing. I wanna keep developing. I wanna become spiritually fit. 
I want to see these elements in my life, faith, hope, and love, just flourish in my life. And I just thank you for that, Father, for hearing my cry. And I just pray that you'll lead me day by day and speak into my life as I'm making room in my life for you. I want you to be at the center of it. Not at the periphery of my life, but at the very core of my life that I may continue to grow spiritually. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.